0: Trails is the road to the track. If it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your weekly episode of Trail Tales ARP. And that is a running podcast, of course i am your host sean sobon and today i have kirsten fleming she is an executive director of run calgary and she's also here representing the canadian endurance sports alliance very pleased to have you with me today kirsten how are you
1: yeah i'm great thanks so much for having me on your show
0: yeah i'm i'm very honored that you're here and uh i love getting canadian content like i mentioned to you off air before you know um, I'm I'm lucky enough to get guests from all over this little planet that we share and uh, it's, it's extra special for me to have uh, some great Canadians on the show as well. So again, welcome and uh, yeah, let's get into our conversation right away because there's lots of important stuff to talk about. So you are part of the Canadian Endurance Sports Alliance and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, let's get to know a little bit about you yourself. So Let's talk about your running and and how long you've been running and what your origins were into, into running.
1: Yeah, I started running um, about, I guess, 15, 16, 17 years ago. I don't know when I lost track. I used to be able to say that off the tip of my tongue. But I think long before I ran, running was uh, something that was in my family. There was a culture around it. And um, I definitely was one of those people that thought, oh, my fantasy self will be a marathoner one day. Like, you know, I always thought that would be something that I would do. But um, I moved to Calgary uh, just right out of university and um, was wanting to get to know people. And I actually got my start by doing a clinic. Um, at the running room. That's good CanCon for you right there. Just like many great Canadians, uh, you know, you Google or you ask a friend, like, where where do I go for running shoes or how do I get started? And I, I came upon the running room, got my fir- first pair of runners and hit a clinic on a learn to run. And I met some really great friends right out the gate. who so I'm still friends with and still run with to this day, um, but, which is just like such a positive thing um, that has come out of uh, that early, those early days of, of learning to run and yeah like I said the the there was culture in my family my aunt and uncle are are amazing amazing runners um they have done I think hundreds of marathons they've lived all over the world and that's a big part of what they do to this day my uh aunt and uncle are now in their 60s they've done comrades they actually lived and grew up in South Africa uh during that era where it was just booming um in the in the 80s 70s 80s 90s um so tons of you know I, I went and lived with them in 99 and Um, started running back then. And then when I moved back to Canada, that's really when I got into it. So my aunt and uncle had said, if you ever do a marathon, you, we want you to do your first one with us. So I actually traveled as far away as I possibly could and made some, you know, when you pick a race, you really like think about when it is, what time of year, like none of that. Like my very first race was in Dubai, uh, in 2007, that was my first marathon. And you know it was in January, so I had to train through the winter the early parts of winter, especially those like you know l- long last runs before you taper like around Christmas. It was just not good, but yeah. very fulfilling to be able to do a big travel vacation and get to finish my first marathon with my aunt Margaret, who was a big part of my inspiration to get to running
0: that's amazing so so you had a lot of uh influence from your family in terms of running. Let me ask you, do you think if it hadn't been for, for that culture in your family of running that you would have still found running on your own?
1: That's a good question. I've really never thought about it. I would like to think so, because I do feel like this is such a huge part of my life. um, And I can't imagine it's so much more than just like a passion or a job. It's like, I such a massive part of my life that I can't imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't come to running. So I like to think that we would have found each other one way or another. (laughs)
0: That's a great answer. And and I think you make a very great point there where it, it becomes more than a passion or for yourself, even more than a job, right? It becomes part of who you are, part of your identity. And I think for most of us runners, whether, you know, very elite, talented runners or just regular schmucks like myself, um, it does become part of your identity and it's something that you embrace. And, you know, it's just, it's just such a wonderful thing. So um, like you had mentioned, it's, it's so much more than just a passion or a job. Uh, for yourself. And, you know, being an executive uh, director in, in running and, and putting on these big events, um, how did how did that happen? How did you get into that line of work, if you will?
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. My background is actually journalism. I went to university and worked in um, television for about a decade before I came to um, race directing. Okay. um And I, if you stick with me, I'll tell you, there's a lot of parallels actually um, between what I used to do and what I do now. But I actually, uh, I left working for uh, breakfast television was the show that I worked on in Calgary uh, in 2009 and actually running played a big part of the next chapter in my life because after I left that job in TV, my mom and I went to Europe, my family's Scottish. They all, all those siblings and They all scattered all over the world. So typically what happens is once every year or two, we all meet back uh, in Scotland when my grandparents were alive. And that's where everybody meets up. Um, My aunt uh, was coming from Dubai and her and I decided that we were going to do the Great Scotland Run, which is the half marathon in Glasgow. Okay. Great race, a beautiful race. Um, And at the beginning of the race, she was like, well, what are you going to do with your life now? Like, maybe you should move to Dubai and come and live (laughs) with us. And I had lived with them. In their last chapter when they were in south africa and i was like i'm not just moving to dubai like i have a whole life now i'm like a little bit more grown up and established and by the end of the race so two and a half hours later i was like okay packing up and i'm moving to dubai and that's literally what i did so um shortly after i got there and they were so entrenched in this run club there called the dubai creek striders which still exists and i would reckon is probably the most diverse run club in the entire world when I was there. I was running with people like over 100 languages. It's incredible. Um, And they also had a half marathon that they put on. So I, you know, ended up packing kits and helping out with that, doing the breakfast, really like helping with this volunteer committee. And I started to ask myself like, Oh, do people do this as work? Like, is this a job that people do? So when I came back to Canada, I was working for a marketing agency, just, um, you know, part-time and one of the contracts happened to be the Calgary marathon, um, that they were working on some activations for, uh, one of the sponsors as well as doing some of the media campaigns and this kids' school program. And because I was already a runner, I got assigned that file. So, uh, through that work, I got to know, you know, the then marketing director, um, as well as some of the organizing committee and a few people on the board. And just as a crazy twist of fate, the woman who was doing the job, uh, the marketing director called me one night and said, Can I take you for dinner? Uh, I want to pick your brain, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this job. And I'm thinking about moving to Dubai. And I was like, you should do that. And I'm gonna take your job. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we went for dinner. And, you know, we, kind of picked each other's brains. And I applied for the job. And interestingly, I actually didn't get a uh, interview right away. And I remember like being pretty crushed and wanting to go after the job. I weaseled my way into a party that the board was hosting and introduced myself around. Um, And I was actually out for lunch with a girlfriend. And I saw the chair of the board, who was then the president, in the street. And I had a liquid lunch, a little bit of courage. And I literally stopped him in the street. And I was like, I'm Kirsten Fleming. You should hire me for that job. No one will do a better job than me get your recruiter to call me. And the next day I got a phone call. And as they say, the rest is history.
0: <laughs> wow. So you willed your way into the position. I
1: right really, really thought it seemed like a perfect job for me. So I, yeah, I kind of feel like I bullied my way in the door and I hope that they're, they're happy. I've been here 10 years now. So I think, uh, you know, I've heard the president of the board, uh, Dan Weebay, he's now since moved on, but I've heard him tell that story and we have similar versions about how he just like kind of got stopped in the street and we're like, who is this woman? Uh, And sure enough, um, you know, I think it has a happy ending. It definitely is a challenging job. Never, uh, you know, it's never easy. And then it's certainly been extremely challenging the last 15 months. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's a very fulfilling line of work, especially when you are able to make your passion, your job and align those two values. So I feel very grateful every day that I get to do this for a living.
0: Well, that's great. And, you know, you had brought up the fact that, you know, it has been challenging over the past 15 months. And, um, you know, I think it's a good time now to kind of get into, you know, the Canadian Endurance Sports Alliance. Um, and, you know, the challenges that that you have been facing um, with all of the lockdowns and cancellation of live events all over 2020, and now we're kind of getting into 2021. So, um, and have I got it right that the Canadian Endurance Sports Alliance was formed because of the challenges that are being um, faced with the COVID lockdowns and everything?
1: Yes, you do. So um, race directors do collaborate on an incredible level already, even pre-pandemic. I mean, we all work each other's races. A lot of us like, you know, talk on kind of a weekly or bi-weekly basis and and ask questions, you know, I've asked for HR plans and ops plans, and how do you, you know, manage your porta potty, like everything we Mm -hmm. ask each other questions, because there really isn't one playbook to go by or one way of doing things for race directing, while it's become a much more like professionalized field, I'd say in the last like 10 to 15 years, it was really like an industry that was bootstrapped. And, you know, typically people were doing it out of their garages and on their weekends, but had other professions for many, many years. Um, So, you know, as a, as an industry globally and regionally and across the country, we we all do kind of interact and learn from one another. Um, In Canada, there was no professional association, So while we were informally collaborating, we were outsourcing all of our professional development to Running USA. So a lot of the big races, um, especially in the road racing, are members of Running USA, and that means that we, you know, are invited to their conference uh, once a year, where we have access to the vendors, and then also just like even the big the big city races. Um, in the states and it's become more of a global even though it's called running usa it's become more of a global association so at the conference you'll get like berlin marathon and london marathon and um, races from asia so it, it is quite global but what we realized as soon as the pandemic started in early march is that running usa was um you know coming together and starting to lobby their government to make sure that their industry was being heard at a national level and to have one united voice and we realized that that was lacking here So informally, we were all kind of meeting and having, you know, the what was me conversation and what are we going to do and checking in with each other, Um, but realized pretty quickly that we had to formalize if we were going to get on the radar of government and be a united force, um, you know, nationally, both to our participants as a single entity that is speaking on behalf of the industry. And so um, it didn't happen overnight. It was quite organic. I think we were all looking around thinking like, well, somebody needs to do this. Like, who's going to do this? And it kind of became one of those like, like, okay, nobody's doing it. So the people asking the questions about who's going to do it ended up doing it. Um, So there's a group of us, you know, we started out as 10 or 11. I think we're down to six board members now. Um, Over the course of the year, you know, there's been either less work or um, people have had more obligations outside of um, CISA, what is what we call it for short, the Canadian Endurance Sports Alliance. So it has um really been an advocacy group over the last, you know, course of the year. The big races, um I guess I should back up and say we have about 167 members, but those okay. 167-ish members um represent 2 million participants a year. So we're talking about like all of the major road races. Uh, in Canada, um, minus Quebec, we we are definitely still working on broadening our reach in Quebec. Like we have about four or five races there, um, and also multidiscipline. So we're talking triathlon, mountain biking, um, obstacle course races, endurance races, trail races, road races, um, swimming. Um, even like we have some kind of fringe groups that are uh, also members. So. Our primary objective this past year has been to advocate to Ottawa so that they know that we're an industry that's in trouble and that we need help um, and to deal with um, and, and be in conversation with the NSOs and PSOs, so Athletics Canada, Triathlon Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been, you know, very, very time consuming and a huge departure from you know what race directing is. Like I knew really nothing about federal government <laughs> 15 months ago. I you know in a former life I was a journalist, so I dealt with municipal politicians all of the time and had a basis of knowledge of how to navigate that system. Uh, but obviously Ottawa is a whole other world, so it's been a lot of work and also really interesting. Uh, I mean I wouldn't want. To have ever wished for this situation, but has been fascinating. Um, And what I think the biggest takeaway is that we are not even known as an industry, like our number one barrier when we're talking with politicians from municipal right up to, you know, provincial and federal is like, oh, like we didn't know you guys were even an industry. I think people either assume that banks and or charities put on races or that they just magically appear overnight. Um, and that is, you know, I always say like what we do is a little bit black magic and we kind of like it that way. Like we want participants to show up and have this magical experience. And then when they ask us, Oh, are you racing today too? It's like almost like a compliment. Like you think that this happens so effortlessly that I could just like magically go run my own race, which is not the case. Yeah. Uh, very few race directors with maybe the exception of Dave McGillivray at Boston Marathon runs his own race on the, on the day of. So. Um, Yeah, it's it's been challenging just getting them to understand that we are an industry, how we operate and the incredible impact this industry has on the country from both the short term impact and long term impact that you can't really quantify around like the health benefits that, you know, lead, you know, people leading healthier lives, uh, the massive impact that that has not impacting actually the health industry. Right. So we're. We are 15 months in and we've made really great headway. And if you go to EnduranceSportsAlliance.ca, uh, you can see the work that we've done and who we've talked to. Um, and the work continues. I guess the, the chapter is not closed yet.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put the the website and all your contact information um, on in the show notes and everything when we're doing that. But a few questions I have um, that have popped up. So, would you know off the top of your head, like how many, how many participants countrywide do we have? I know you mentioned you guys are representing 2 million runners, but is, is the number larger than that? Um, I guess when you look at all of the events that are out there, including like, you know, triathlon and, and road racing and trail racing and all those other things, um, do you have a, an estimate of how many people? yeah, we're lucky
1: enough that on the CIsa board, we have two vendors who have been incredible and have worked together and in a normal year would be competitors. But they're both registration company owners. And so we've been able to deduce through their data as well as the data that was given to us through like run guides and a couple of other um, of our partners. Um that there's roughly about three million participants annually. Uh, across the country that participate in endurance races. Um, and in 2019, there was close to $750 million raised through these events, uh, just for charities in this country only. So it wow. does have a, a big impact and a trickle down effect
0: effect on other industries. Absolutely. And you know, if I could do my math, that's almost like 10% of our national population that's that's doing running so i think it what's is in, an industry for sure
1: yeah what's incredible <laughs> is that when uh i actually really creep out our our federal politicians because everybody's googleable and i can always see going into a meeting oh have they ever participated in a turkey trot or a 5k or the army run um and so I go in and I already know a few things about them just by looking at their results and yeah. it's overwhelming how many people um on parliament hill have actually participated in endurance endurance events which actually makes our job a little bit easier because then we're going from a foundational basis of like oh okay you've been to this race in Edmonton so you understand the I guess 101 of what we do because you've seen it firsthand and that definitely can contribute to a more meaningful conversation when we're you know, going to them to talk to the perils of the industry and what we're dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I wanted to touch on too, like, you know, just to show that, you know, these races um, can easily be considered an essential service and like all kind of health health things, because like, you know, I'm talking about gyms and everything as well, because, you know, a lot of people I've spoken with, um, have said that you know one of their big motivators to get out there and run and train is to have an event a goal event in mind and it's it's pretty hard for some people for probably a lot of runners out there or athletes to to train when there's no purpose for it if you will right other than just getting out and running because training for an event especially if you're you're competitive is a lot of work and it takes a lot of commitment and time and and if you don't have a race you know that you're that you got your targets on, um, it might be really hard to get out there and run. So I wanted to just kind of to point that out. Mm-hmm. And the other thing i I wanted to ask you is, um, what kind of response have these federal politicians given you with all these conversations?
1: Great questions. I think there's very few of us who are intrinsically motivated, and I applaud those people who can just you know follow a program day in, day out, mm-hmm. eat healthy. Never question getting out the door, going for a run. That's not most people. Uh, I think most people do need accountability, whether that's through a friend or a training program or a race to look forward to. So Mm -hmm. I would agree with you, and we have been arguing that this is an essential service, um, especially at the provincial level. So I wanna differentiate that policy around races happening is that's a provincial decision. Um, So in places like BC or where you are in Ontario, like races are a no-go. They're considered events, they're social gatherings. They're not Mm -hmm. not happening. Whereas in Alberta, where I am, there is an understanding uh, that we should get back to some normalcy and if we can do things safely, that events could be a great contributor to people's mental health. We know that ski hills were open all of uh, this past winter here in Alberta and that they were a great outlet for people to recreate in safe, controlled ways. And so we've argued that we can be the ski hills of summer And we are working with the provincial government to get exemptions so we can host small COVID secure events this spring, summer and fall. And we're very confident that that's going to happen. At a federal level, we're advocating for cash for the industry because when we surveyed our members, those 170-ish members, um, what we understood is that without the wage subsidy and rent and other grants and subsidies staying available throughout this year, that 65% of the industry faces closure. And so these are events that are institutions. Um, And I'll point out a couple of things. I guess one is that most events are either small business or nonprofits and nonprofit like mine, Run Calgary is a great example. That's um, organized by a small but mighty staff and overseen by a board of directors. And these people are typically passionate runners, triathletes who want to contribute back to the running community Mm -hmm. and help with strategy and long-term vision of these organizations. Ren Calgary is over 55 years old and we want to be around another 50 plus years, but a board of directors is typically not able to and often not willing to take on debt. So things like credit programs and uh, (laughs) low interest uh, payback programs that the government have made available are not ideal and sometimes not even... Allowed by the bylaws of race organizations, and that would be the case for run Calgary. Mm-hmm. As nonprofits, in a year where we make money, um, which I should mention isn't always, <laughs> um, <laughs> they, you know, we are pumping that back into the races. So it's not like most races in this in this country are sitting on buckets of money, and that's because you know I firmly believe that the model is broken. Race directing is, you know you put on a race you ask for a registration fee you have no idea how many people you're going to get then you go out and look for sponsors everybody gets paid you're at the back of the line and you're hoping at the end of the day when all the bills are paid you have you know a couple bucks per head in the bank that you've made a little bit of money and in a good year that happens and in a bad year that does not happen so you know that's not a great model for sustainability Mm -hmm. um For small businesses, it might be a little bit easier for a race director who maybe doesn't have a ton of overhead and and maybe only deals with seasonal staff. And so they're just taking their salary and they can kind of scale up or scale down. But how many months do you go into debt before you just shutter and close the doors? So it's now, you know, most race directors lost an entire season in 2020. Um, This is the time where we would be seriously ramping up, like the window is closing. So for many parts of the country, there's organizations that, you know, don't have permits and there's no certainty. So they're not willing to take on any sort of um, risk by output of, um, you know, you have to do your orders and put down deposits on venues, et cetera, quite a ways out. So the time that you would be making those commitments is now for the spring, summer, and fall. In fact, it would be long past for the spring. So ultimately, um, this 2021 season for many parts of the country is Definitely, um, you know, at risk of not happening. Um, just to finally answer your question, at a federal level, I think there is a willingness to help us. There, race, they, There is an understanding by the people who we've been in front of, which would be, you know, tons of MPs and then a lot of bureaucrats at a pretty high level, that this is an essential industry. And that we are well positioned to help Canadians get back to healthy, normal living on the other side of this. Um, And so I think the conversation will continue long after the pandemic. I don't see CISA going anywhere now that we've established ourselves. We're going into an election. We have a lot of new blood standing for elections. So that's super exciting. Um, So I think the next, I guess, era and evolution of CISA will, you know, write itself when we see how the industry evolves. But it will never be the same after the pandemic. So I think it will be more important than ever for us to collaborate and share best practices.
0: Well said, well said. I think, you know, having CISA around is is such a great thing for the industry nationwide because it gives a a collective voice, you know, that can grow and get stronger and has the attention of the federal government. And, um, you know, I really appreciate getting this insight into what's involved behind the scenes because, you know, putting on a race is more than just picking a route and then inviting people to come join. So there's so much more that's involved to it and a lot of planning and everything. And I'm just I'm just wondering, I can't remember who had mentioned it to me, but somebody who had an interest in the next budget uh, was saying that April 19th is the next federal budget. Do you think there's a chance that uh, they might address the running industry's needs in this budget?
1: I'm hopeful. We have had conversations with the right people that that could be a possibility. We've had no promises made to us, Sean. Um, but we have spoken to people inside Christia Freeland's office, her right-hand people. And we know that there are people at the uh, very high level, some cabinet ministers who are runners, um, who we have had face-to-face time with, who've asked follow-up questions and understand what we are asking for, okay. which is, um, you know, is we're asking for roughly $50 million to help the industry. Um, and, you know, that number is, I guess, large to some, but small in comparison to what they've been handing out to other industries. Yeah. they are not
0: even at hundred million. They've been giving yeah. out billions for other stuff. So.
1: That's right. Um, and like I said, we're a small, but mighty industry. We do a lot with a little, and you know, what my argument has been when we've met with MPs um, at different points of this, uh, of this pandemic is that we have never asked for anything and we have contributed so much. We don't mm. get funding from the federal government. We're an industry that doesn't get funding from NSOs. In fact, we pay um, for things like rights fees and high performance programs and help Olympians go to the Olympics, but we don't actually get funding from the the national governing bodies or the provincial governing bodies. So as an industry that has contributed so much to the fabric of this country, um, we we do need help. And that money goes to fill the gaps on, you know, the 65% that we're getting from the government already for wage subsidies. Um, and also to help us with a runway to get going again, because that's going to be the challenge is that we've all been stagnant. Um, the the term that I love is uh, event production atrophy. We've lost uh, you know, our muscles and we've also lost a lot of our seasonal staff. I mean, we most of us are lucky that we've been able to keep because of wage subsidy, um, our core staff. And why that's important, because I actually had a participant kind of say, so what, you guys go away and there's something, you know, there's a hole in the market and somebody else will fill it. The challenge is that this is a very complex thing, what we do. And the reason that the events are safe and awesome is because of the institutional knowledge and continuity and staff. If you look at an organization like Canada Running Series, they have the largest, they're still tiny, but they're the largest race organization in Canada with a staff of 17. Yeah. They have staff that have been with them for decades, like decades. So that institutional knowledge is how they're able to put on events right across this country from Vancouver um, to Montreal and um, have them be you know, safe and epic and huge and these huge celebrations. Um, of community raising all this money um, is really because of that continuity. So it does, it does matter that we are able to keep our staff and, and come back and hit the road um, running, as they say. The last thing I'll mention on that is that we haven't really been an industry that has maybe like touted the horn of safety the way we should have, because it's just part of the inherent social contract. If you're signing up for a race you know that you're giving me a registration fee. And in return, part of that social contract is that you're going to show up, you're going to have a timed course, you're going to get a bib, you're going to get a result, you're going to get a banana and a bagel, hopefully for free. <laughs> <laughs> and that you ultimately, uh, if you need anything from like full on medical attention to a band aid to search and rescue, if you're out doing a trail race, that that is part of your registration fee and that you know that you can count on that. So you're trusting us as race directors to keep you safe. And even during this pandemic, you know, us trying to get exemptions, it's like safety is our reputation. Of course, we are going to put the safety of our participants, our volunteers and staff first above everything else.
0: Yeah. And like you had mentioned earlier too, like, you know, comparing it to, to ski hills that have been open and able to operate too. There's there's really no difference there. You're outdoors. You can, you know, I think you, you had a graphic up, um, somewhere that I saw anyhow on on what you know the start of a race would look like instead of sorry they go going my dogs <laughs> um what the start of a race would look like rather than um you know having everybody in a corral and taking off together you'd have kind of waves right separated by time which kind of I guess social distancing is what that yeah. is, right? So I can
1: share that with you so that your participants uh, or sorry, your listeners can, can uh-huh. see that graph. And I'll quickly give credit to Marcel Altenberg, who's a great friend of the industry and one of the world's leading crowd scientists, which is like such a cool job and title. Um, he's out of Manchester University and he had shared that graphic for us to use because we know that we're dealing with people in government who are generalists. They have five minutes, of, you get five minutes of their time and you really need to be able to capture their attention. And as people who are like visual, if they've never been to a race, all they think is, oh my gosh, you wanna you wanna have a race right now and stuff all those people in a start line and send them out sweating and breathing on each other and spitting and snotting and whatever else runners do. Yeah, No, like we're talking about these like small time trial, wave, pulse, start. So getting them used to the language and then showing them the visuals has been extremely helpful in us being able to further our cause.
0: You all know how I love to run with Piper the Wonder Dog. Her safety and health are my number one priority when we're out on the trails together, and that's why I've been giving Piper Big Country Raw's all-natural joint support supplements since she was a pup. Trail Tales ARP is happy to provide you with a discount code for 10% off your order at bigcountryraw.ca. Thrive Joint Support Supplement contains MSN, Glucosamine and Chondroitin, which help Piper's joints stay healthy by reducing inflammation and pain. It also provides the building blocks for reducing cartilage and provides increased cushioning for joints by drawing water into the canine joint cartilage. Big Country Raw has an enormous selection of supplements that help promote and maintain digestive health, skin and coat health, and joint support. Support. They also carry a wide variety of all-natural raw pet food and treats. Big Country Raw products are all Canadian-made and use pasture-raised and free-range animals sourced from farmers and processors that abide by safe and ethical standards of care. All fish used are caught in the wild and the vegetables and fruits are all certified organic. Big Country Raw is currently only available in Canada and can ship your order to your door. Some restrictions apply. Visit BigCountryRaw.ca and use the code TrailTails one word to receive your 10% discount today. Run wild! Oh yeah, yeah. I understood that it all starts uh, about two seconds into the clip that I saw with all the moving dots. So it was, it was perfect graphic, and I think it gets the point right across too. So it's it's absolutely a great thing. Um, so we're we're looking at, you know, 2020 was all kind of virtual, right? And you had mentioned like, you know, you're asking for some funding from the government and, you know, even just the charitable dollars, $750 million, that's huge. It's way more than what you're asking. So the benefit of having this industry survive is, is far outweighs, you know, the $50 million that you guys are kind of looking for to help keep alive, right? Um, you know, and there there are two camps too. I know I'm kinda a little bit all over the place here, but there are two camps when it comes to the lockdowns. I think there have been people that have taken the time because they don't have, you know, jobs to go to, unfortunately, or they're working from home and they have more free time. Um, they've gotten in shape and they've gotten better. And then there's the other the other half um that has actually put on weight and has not done so well, right? So even if you look at, you know, kind of trickle down effects, having the industry survive and, and able to operate during during these times um, would actually probably reduce healthcare costs as well, right? Because when, when people stop getting active and they put on weight, those come with negative health impacts as well, right? And, and theoretically increased healthcare costs for the country. So
1: I yeah, mean there, there,
0: there's lots of arguments to to save the industry and, and to keep things going. Now let's let's talk about like so last year almost like everything went virtual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like virtual races are good because it does help some sort of income stream for the industry, I guess, because I'm assuming that there are year round costs um, for, for these events and for these races and the organizations, right? It's not just like, okay, we, we need a bunch of money. We're going to put on this event. There's probably stuff like storage and who knows what else, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm sure you can.
1: You're going in the right direction for sure. Okay.
0: So, I mean, w- with that being said, I'm sure, you know, like, again, those virtual races have helped. Um, you know, I guess my question for you is what can we as participants do to help this industry that we love so much and that is such a part of our lives, right? Because I guess one of the big advantages of virtual races is too, is you can, you can get income from around the world too. It's not just limited to, okay, you have to travel here to do this run, right? You can, you can be in norway you can be in ireland wherever and you hey look there's a great you know virtual canadian race i'm going to sign up for so what kind of things can we do to help out what should we look for what should we avoid all those types of things
1: yeah i will um, back up one second and just tell you that virtual races have been amazing and by the virtue of you know government support and the grace of government support and those virtual runners who have been supporting their favorite local races um, through this pandemic. That's really what has helped us survive all of us. Uh, You could ask a race director from Norway to Ireland to Sweden to Canada, and we would all say the same things. But the number of people doing virtual races is a fraction of the normal number of participants that we're getting. Um, so it, it definitely is helping, but there's still an incredible amount of work that goes into virtually. You would not believe like we are a full-time fulfillment center. I keep, I, I keep telling my race director who's been in charge of procurement and fulfillment that he should take over Canada post. Cause he, <sighs> we have learned so much, but it is so time consuming. Um, and there's more expenses than you would think. So, um, obviously like you can't charge as much and the, uh, cost of shipping in this country is astronomical. So we actually make way less money uh, we make sometimes no money. We sent packages to rural uh, rural Australia where we were losing $40 a package, but we oh, were wow. so happy people were taking, you know, the Run Calgary swag to, to Australia. We've since restructured our pricing structure, but um, yeah, I mean, virtual races have been great. And Run Calgary, as an example, we had, you know, dipped our toe into the virtual race world before the pandemic. So we had a teeny tiny bit of experience, um and learned a few things that first year that we did it in 2019 so that was a great jumping off point for us and last year we actually um shifted our entire season um we kind of cherry picked the best events and the ones that had sponsors where we needed to fulfill and we did create a virtual festival in a normal year run calgary puts 25,000 people across finish lines and last year we did just shy of 10,000 i think we were like just 100 people shy of 10,000 oh, wow. virtual participants so um, I mean, you can do the map on that, it's still, you know, it's still great that we were able to get that many people moving. Um, and that was part of our mandate. At the end of the day, we were like, let's get through this pandemic. Our objectives were can we keep our staff employed and can we keep people moving and engaged with Run Calgary and we we've managed to do that 2021 is a little bit of a different story because parts of the world are opening up people do want to go to in person races and the limited number of people who were willing to do virtual last year has even shrunk further. Um, I think, you know, you've done it once, you're probably not going to do the same race again unless you really just want to support that organization. Mm-hmm. And so as race organizers in Canada, you know, we haven't been trying too hard to go after the participants from, you know, where you are in Dufferin or anywhere in Ontario. I mean, I'll certainly send a package there, but what we're trying to do is keep our community and our Run Calgary people running uh, and engaged. So we've really tried to hyper-localize a lot of our um, our virtual races, including incentivizing people to do curbside pickup. Um, so that obviously speaks to the local crowd. Um, so yeah, virtual races have been a great stopgap. They're not going anywhere, but like I said, they are not the solution to saving this industry. Um, mm-hmm. what was the second part of the question?
0: Um, what what can I guess runners do to kind of to help the industry? And you know, right. you know, what what should we look for? What kind of things should we avoid when when selecting a virtual race?
1: Yeah, so I guess if you are planning on doing a virtual race, know that they're not all created equal. And if your goal is to support the organization of that race that you and your family look forward to every year to do in person, then go to that organization's website and support what that organization is putting out into the world. There are a number of um, businesses that have you know, popped up uh, throughout the pandemic, wanting to make a quick buck and capitalize on the trend around virtual races Mm -hmm. and we'll sell you everything from like a poop emoji 5k um, which that experience is literally nothing compared to what we're doing you're you're purchasing a medal that's what you're doing you're like oh this looks cute i'm going to run a 5k and i'm going to get a medal there's no community around it i mean when you show up for a run calgary virtual race there is an entire life cycle and journey that goes along with that experience everything from contributing to the, um, uh, the playlist that we put together, prizing. We do like every single day, there's an engagement piece. We do little Easter egg hunts so that people um, who want to go above and beyond are really uh, getting recognized. We do our, our roots. We have like Strava segments so that people can actually race. We can, um, we do these like audio cues. So for 12Ks of Christmas, when you signed up for your race, you use RunKeeper. And when you use the app, you get this funny little song that, We created around our sponsors and we mentioned noon and, you know, uh, Garmin and it's sung by a local opera singer like there's this whole experience that goes with it. Um, So I guess my first piece of advice is do a virtual race, um, because that is helping the industry and make sure that when you choose to sign up for a virtual race that you're supporting an organization that you really want to see come back. Uh, and put on in-person races. So if it's an organization that doesn't have an in-person event section on their website or it popped up in 2020 and didn't exist beforehand, I would say that's not going to help you get back to racing. And then the second thing I would say is be an early adopter. If you are a healthy uh, adult human who has no financial barrier and you have confidence in the protocols being put forward by whatever race is happening in your backyard, yeah, it might not be the experience that you had in 2019 and that you look forward to having again when this is over. Um, But we are putting on these small COVID secure events when and where possible across the country. Um, I know like Halifax, um, Blue Nose Halifax organization did a small 250 person race a couple of weekends ago. And it had all those COVID protocols in place. You got to wear your mask, you got to socially distance, pulse starts, etc. But you get to go out and be in community And that's really helping those organizations and the, the it's, it's a, it's a revenue generator probably, but even if it's just a break even, the reason that we're doing it is that we need to show that we can, because we're going to have to crawl before we walk and walk before we run. We're not just going to go overnight back to having 10,000 person events. So these little small 250, 500, whatever they may be, events are a crucial part in us getting back to the return to racing um or a new type of racing whatever it looks like on the other side of this pandemic
0: yeah uh very well said so i think you know it's 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 important that that people consider like i said be early adopters i'm sorry my my dogs are barking and my kids have lost their capacity to stay quiet so there might be some background noise (laughs)
1: hey Working and podcasting from home.
0: <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Um, so what I was going to say is, you know, it, it's, it's important to, to get out there and, and participate in these events. And I, I guess I want to ask um, with an event, you know, like the Blue Nose, that's going to have 250 participants, um, are the costs still similar to what it would be to hold a 10,000 person race? Cause I'm assuming you still have to have everything else in place, right? You just have less people coming.
1: Great question. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to get into numbers, especially around run Calgary, because I can speak specific. So I'll I'll use that as an example. In the fall, um, we had an in-person dash of doom. It was tragically named, but that was the name of the race. It's a Halloween race. Uh, I thought that could be a PR accident to to happen (laughs) if anything went wrong. But luckily, nothing went wrong. So what happened was we had a virtual series. And late in the fall, we had applied for an exemption on a permit and been given uh, a permit for a 250-person race for Halloween. If we had just stayed virtual, we would have made probably around $7,000 on that event. But because we, you know, our mandate is to put on in-person events, we felt Mm -hmm. it was important to do that, to be of service to our community. And also, again, to say that we can do it so that it gives us some, you know, a chance at having a 2021 season. That was our main objective is let's do this and test our protocols and video and, Invite the province or whoever from Alberta Health Services down to come and audit us, so that they know that we can do this. Um, And we we um, we did break even, but only because the virtual carried the small in person event. So to your point, um, when you're closing roads or pathways, there's fixed costs, and it actually like your break even number. It could be you know 120 participants, it could be 700 participants, depending on um, your costs in that city and how much you are being charged to close down parks or roads or Um, how many barricades you need, etc. So that was a small 5k race. And we had a separate start and finish. Um, We were on public park, uh, but they let us close a road and they didn't charge us. Um, And that was really just because we got a small micro grant to get events going again last year. Um, But like I said, we, um, we only broke even on the dash of doom on Halloween, because the virtual portion of the event did carry the in person. So um, race organizations, some of them are just choosing like not to take on that cost and expense. So if you see your local race organization, that's, you know, not putting on in-person events when maybe they could be because other people in your market are, um, there's probably good reason for it. They just can't afford it.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, you know, I just want to speak quickly because, you know, I'd mentioned off camera and, and the audience knows like I work as a paramedic. That's my profession. And, you know, um, one of the regions we cover is the City of Mississauga and they have the Mississauga Marathon. And, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't gotten the phone call to to provide medical coverage for there. But, you know, there are paramedic crews on site that are dedicated to that. And, you know, you, they're they call us in and it's, it's an overtime shift for us. Right. So that's that's expensive. And those costs have to be covered by the race itself. Right. And it's it's a dedicated medical uh, medical coverage for the site. So, I mean, you know, I can definitely speak to, to those costs as well. It's not cheap for sure. And, and these cities, you know, they're not going to, or whatever, you know, geographical area, you're and they're not going to give you anything for free. Like you said, road closures, permits, uh, you need the police to close roads, all that type of stuff. It's all, it all costs money. Right. So it's, it's great to hear though, that, um, you know, the virtual runners were able to help support the live races as well. So everybody's kind of coming together collectively to, help things keep going at least. Right. Even if it's on a smaller capacity,
1: you bet. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely an ethical question that comes up in the industry is like, we're in a pandemic. Is it right to be putting on races? If you need medical teams and some races pay for them and some people, you know, recruit volunteers, um, we know that essential service workers are already overworked uh, and already putting in too many hours. So it might come down to like, can you even get enough medical help on course? Mm-hmm. Um, we're lucky in Calgary that we have uh, an events medical crew that that's specifically what they do is they they work events and they're able to recruit. We also work with our ski patrollers. Um, we've moved the Calgary Marathon to the fall, and I've already been told um, that that's a really hard time of year to recruit for ski patrollers. But we also have a, an incredible um, medical director, Dr. Andrew Wade, who is the lead and the director of our. He's an emergency physician, um, and he recruits. He's beloved, and he recruits all of his own um, RNs and uh, and and staff to work in our medical tent. So. Those are conversations that we've, you know, kept them in the loop the whole way along. And if we can't have enough medical staff, it comes back to that safety aspect. Like we would never put on an event, no race director in the right mind would ever put on an event unless they had the, uh, minimum and above of medical staff required to make it safe for participants.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I can speak, you know, as a paramedic myself, like I've, I've had the, the pleasure of being able to do a few, um, events for coverage and stuff like that. And I did, uh. Oh man, I can't remember what it was now. It's like the timber sports, like, um, where they're doing the, the wood cutting competitions and stuff like that. They had the, the Canadian championships in Mississauga last year. And I got to do that and it was, it was, it's fun, right? It's something different than the norm. So I think as, you know, a medical person, it's, it's fun to be able to get those opportunities to do these events like that. Right. It's just, uh, doing the job away from the job, if you will. So, I don't think you'd ever have a shortage of of people doing it. I would would volunteer to do it too, right? Getting paid is just a bonus. Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, uh, we're currently putting on, we put on SportCheck's event um, for them, SportCheck Mother's Day run. It's an institution in Alberta. Um, And this year it's gone virtual. It's on Mother's Day, obviously. Um, And it benefits the NICU. So we actually have a thousand um, nurses and frontline workers that have been sponsored by Pepsi. So their registrations are free. Um, and as a thank you but we in a normal year their in-person registrations would be free as well and so we've had a lot of great conversation and it's interesting what i've realized is that people who are doing virtual runs and signing up for these things to keep them accountable are also some of the busiest people i'm like how do you have time for that on the side of everything else you're parenting you're working Um, so it's really awesome to be able to support um, the nurses through pepsi and the sport take mother's day run and we're super excited to see how that all comes together um, but, yeah, it's going to be it'll be interesting to see what happens on the other side, because, again, like medical and operations will all be forever changed, in my opinion, based on the pandemic. I just don't think participants are ever going to be OK, even when we say, OK, this is all cleared up and done. We've all had our vaccine. Who's going to want to be sardined into a, a start line again? So I think that there's going to be some major changes coming down the pipe for our industry right. um, and stay tuned. It'll, you know, it really comes down to supply and demand. Like what, what do people want? And what are we willing to do? But everything co- either costs time and or money or space, which costs money. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things evolve.
0: Very much. So Well, I, I'm definitely, uh, sitting here waiting anxiously to see what happens and, um, really hoping that we can get some live races this year in 2021. Um, so Kirsten, listen, we are getting kind of close to the end of our time here, but before we go, I want to do a little bit of a rapid fire with you. Um, yeah. just, just a few questions, um. Nothing, on. nothing crazy. You didn't have to study. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a runner, what do you prefer to run on trail road or track?
1: Whatever's available.
0: Whatever's available. Awesome. <laughs> um, what kind of running shoes, uh, are you currently using? Asics. Asics. Perfect. Are they road shoes.
1: Road shoes. Yeah. I do have trail shoes that are Solomon, but they, uh, were begging me last year. So I was actually running just in my ASICs. Runners even on the trails here at our cabin in the Crow's Nest Pass.
0: Awesome. What, what kind of favorite color scheme do you have for your shoes, if any? Uh,
1: I, I, I don't pick based on color. I've been a Nimbus girl, so it's whatever color they come out
0: with. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, and last one here. Uh, what would be your favorite post-long run indulgence?
1: After a long run, I love to get in the hot tub with a cider.
0: Nice, I like it. yeah,
1: that is uh, my favorite and a book and typically some good music on my on my little speaker, and I yeah,'ll we'll, I'll tuck back a cider in the in the hot tub. That's just my a favorite.
0: little relaxed time. Eh? I think yeah. the most most common answer here always involves alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> but why not, right? Uh, Kirsten, it's been a pleasure having you on here. I really appreciate you taking the time to come to come visit with us and, and share a lot of the insight as to what's going on behind the scenes um, in the Canadian running industry and abroad. So I have one last thing to say to you, and that is to run wild, my friend.
1: Thank you, and you uh, look forward to maybe sharing some trails with you when you finally go to Alberta with me. Yeah.
0: I would love that. Absolutely. Trail Tales ERP now has a brand new YouTube channel. You can head over there through our website and check out all our latest videos. And please don't forget to subscribe. If you could also leave us a review on wherever you get our podcast from, that would be greatly appreciated. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tails underscore ARP. And you can also join our Strava running group at Trail Tales ARP. Thank you so much for your continued support. Run wild.